You're listening to the preaching podcast of the Amazing Grace Baptist Church located in Mount Airy, North Carolina, where Dr. Jonathan Barker is the pastor. We pray that the following message will be a blessing to you. Romans chapter 6 tonight, I want to look at this this entire chapter tonight, and uh, I, we won't be able to really go great in depth with it tonight, um, but in Bible college, I'm teaching on basic Bible doctrines this semester. Last night, I taught on the doctrine of sanctification or the doctrine of separation in Bible college, and um, I taught here out of Romans 6, and the Lord just really spoke to my heart about doing uh, dealing with it again tonight at church, and um, I, I'll say this... Uh, um, um, uh, the devil, I, I think, I, I, I really think this, um, the devil fights this right here, um, what I'm fixing to talk to you about, um, um, as much as anything besides salvation. Uh, sure, he fights salvation more, but he fights this subject right here as much as he does anything else. Because if he can keep you from getting victory over what I'm fixing to deal with, he can keep you from doing anything from God. We have this concept in our mind tonight that sanctification or separation is a bondage. We have this mindset that now that we're saved, uh, um, God has called us to be a peculiar people. God has called us to be separated from the world. Uh, God has, 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 has said, come out from the world and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing. Uh, he's told us to not be unequally yoked together. And we have this mindset now that all of these rules and regulations has been placed on our life now that we're saved and we're in bondage. But that is so far from the truth. That is so far from the truth. Can I say it this way? You was in bondage when you was a sinner lost going to hell. Now that you're saved, you've been set free from that bondage of sin. I have died to sin. Sin no longer has dominion over me unless I allow sin to have dominion over me. I don't have to sin. I choose to sin because I'm dead to sin. I don't have to sin. You say, well, preacher, you better be real careful. You're getting on sinless perfection. No, I'm not getting on sinless perfection. I'm just simply giving you the Bible tonight. I died with Christ. I am dead to sin. But we did not die to the old man. And that old man is what rises up in us and causes us to end up going back into sin and to sinning again every day. I, I, I think about this. Paul talks about buffeting himself daily, knocking himself down daily. Um, I, I remember Brother, Rest, Le, Brother Wester Woloff. Brother Lester Roloff used to say this. He said that he would take a cold shower just to prove to his flesh that it didn't have dominion over him and that it did not rule it. Now I'm just going to be quite honest with you. I tried that about twice and uh, I'm just not that I'm just not that sanctified. I turned it back on hot, okay? But that's the truth. He said that. He said that I would take cold showers every once in a while just to prove to my flesh it did not rule me. And uh, I, I'll say this tonight. Um, uh, if we're not careful, that old man will rule us instead of the new man. I thought about this illustration. 
My dad said this last night. He was teaching on the Bible, but he used this illustration as he was teaching last night for Brother Jeremy. And I've used it before in years gone by in Sunday school. But he said this. He said there was an old mountain man that had a dog by the name of Blue. He said every morning at about 4.30 or 5 o'clock, he would get up in the wintertime and he would build a fire. But every morning when he got up, he had three or four sons and he would get them out of the bed and make them get up too. And he said one morning that old timer walked out on his front porch and old Blue was laying there dead. And said that he got the boys up and told the boys, said take old Blue out yonder behind the barn and bury him, he's dead. So they took him out behind the barn, they buried him, they built the fire, they ate the breakfast, went about the day, the next morning they woke up, the old timer walked out on the porch to get some um, heater wood to bring in, and as he did, he noticed Old Blue was laying back on the front porch. A pack of dogs had come through during the night, had got him, drug him back up on the front porch, he rolled those boys out of bed and said, boys, take old Blue out there behind the barn and bury him like I told you to yesterday. The boys said, Paul, we took old Blue out there and buried him. And he said this, well, he's back on the front porch, go bury him again. That went on three or four days, and about the fourth or the fifth day, the boys looked at Paul and said, Paul, how long are we going to have to keep burying old Blue? And here's what he said, until he quits getting up. You say, how long am I going to have to buffet myself and bury this old man until he quits getting up? And you know when that's going to be? That's going to be at the day you die or the Lord comes back to get us home. We're going to have to deal with this old man. We're going to have to deal with the flesh. We're going to have to learn how to deal with that. Romans chapter 6 is a dynamite of a chapter dealing with that. As we look at it in verse number 1 and 2, the Bible says this. Now, I, I really don't have no uh, uh, alliterated out outline tonight. I'm just going to walk down through chapter number 6, verse by verse, and do a Bible study with you. Verse number 1 and 2 says this. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How should we that are dead to sin, live any longer therein. Verse number 1 and 2 shows us that true salvation is a changed life. True salvation results in a changed life. What did he say? He said that we are dead to sin. He said that we are dead to sin. I read this the other day. It said, I am concerned with good reason about the faith of anyone if there is no evidence of change in their life. Of course, changing doesn't save you, but being saved will change you. I say amen to that right there. He goes on to say, what God justifies, He always sanctifies. We're not talking about perfection but progress, not being sinless, but sinning less and less each day. If nothing happened after you claim you were saved, then nothing happened when you claim you were saved. Let me say that again. If nothing happened after you claim you were saved, then nothing happened when you claimed you were saved. 
You say, preacher, what is that saying? It's simply saying this. If you say you got saved and nothing ever changed in your life, then you probably didn't get saved because salvation is this, dying to sin and raising a new man in the Lord Jesus Christ. A change in your life is not the root of your salvation, but it certainly is the fruit of your salvation. The root of our salvation is the blood of Jesus Christ. Amen. The root of our salvation is nothing in us. It's all in what Christ has done. But the fruit of our salvation will be sanctification. It will be dying to sin and living a separated life set apart to Christ. What did he say in Philippians 1.6? Being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. Think about this. Many churchgoers have overdosed on Christian liberty. I'm saved and secure. Therefore, it does not matter how I live my life, how I look, what I do, or where I go. You see, God looks at my heart. Can I say this? God does look at your heart. You're exactly right. He sure does. But man looks at your outward appearance. God does look on the inside of us, but man looks at us. And, and, and wouldn't it be a shame for us to be a stumbling block for someone to die and go to hell? Why? Because we're not living a sanctified life. Because we're not living a set-apart life. If I go out and indulge in a sinner's sin and in his lifestyle, how in the world can I ever convince him to be saved? How in the world can I ever be a Christian witness to him? So he's saying to us right here that we're dead in that. Should we continue in sin that grace may abound? Do we just go in sin because we know God's going to forgive us? He said, God forbid. He said, God forbid. And then he goes on to say, how shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? Think about this. In Romans 6, there's three key words, and it's what I want to look at tonight. There's three key words. There's the word know, the word reckon, and the word yield. Those three words are the keys to unlocking Romans chapter 6, Romans chapter 7, and Romans chapter number 8. They are the key to it. Let's look at them tonight. Number one, know. Look with me in verse number 3. Know ye not that so many of you as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into His death. Now, what did that verse start with? It started with the word what? Let's try that again. It started with the word what? No. Go with me to verse number 6. Tell me what the first word of verse number 6 is. Knowing. Look at verse number 9. What's that first word? Go to verse 16. What's that first word? No. Evidently, there's something God wants us to know. Evidently, there's four times right here that he uses the word no. So in other words, there is something that I must understand. Sanctification is not based on what I do, but what I know. Can I say that again? It's not based on what I do. It's based on what I know. Know, hear me and hear me well tonight. Know that you are dead to sin. When you sin, you choose to do that. The Bible said this, God doesn't tempt any man. And he goes on, you say, well, what about Abraham? That was a test. It's two different words when you study it out. 
There was a test Abraham and said, God don't tempt any man or any man tempt God. But he goes on to say this, that with every temptation, if it's not from God, it has to be from Satan. And that with every temptation that God, what? Makes a way of escape. There is a way out. When sin comes your way, you have a choice to make. You either choose to sin or you choose to walk away from it. It's as simple as that. Know this tonight, you're dead to sin. You was crucified with Christ, and I'll say more about that in just a second. And when we sin, now some of y'all looking at me like a calf looking at a new gate, but I just read it to you right here out of my King James Bible. I just read it to you right here. What did he say? How shall we that are... What's the next three words? Say it out loud. It's not a trick. It's verse number one, or verse number two, I'm sorry, of chapter number six. Now look what he said. God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin? Sometimes mama would look at me and she'd say, Now, look at me, boy. And I'd look at her and she'd say, Now you say it. I guess she thought he was going to get in my head more. Now you say it. So, all right, class, now look at me. Now you say it. We're what? Dead to sin. That's our Bible tonight. That is, if you'll get a hold of that, it'll help you. With every temptation that God puts in front of you, you don't have to, hey, look, you don't have to submit to that temptation. You can walk away from it. You know what? I, I, know, I know this is a little bit comical, but I'm going to use it anyway. You know what? Monday evening at about 6.15 to 6.30, there's going to be several adults that are going to be faced with a decision. And it's going to go something like this. I will if you will, preacher. And then it'll probably go something like this. I will if you will, Matt. And then it'll probably go something like this. Where's the ibuprofen? Somebody called an ambulance. Every day of our life we're faced with decisions. But in everyone, I'll have a decision to make and, 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 and I'm, I'm going to stand pretty strong on no, I think. And when sin comes our way, there is that decision that we must make. I'm going to do this and give in to peer pressure. Hey, look, I'm 40 years old and I deal with peer pressure as much today as I did at 16 years old. Amen. It's just different. It's not as much the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes as it is the pride of life the older I get. But we deal with that temptation. We deal with that. But we're dead to sin. So when we sin, know this, we're choosing to sin. Verse number 2 does not mean that our old nature is now dead. That's not what it's saying. We still have our old nature. But we also have a new man living in us. That helps us to make the right decision if we will allow it. Baptism is the illustration. It's not teaching that we are saved by being baptized. It is reminding us that by baptism we were identified with Christ and His death, burial, and resurrection. Verses number 3 through 5. Verse number 4, I'll pick up there. Therefore we were buried with Him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. 
For if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall also in the likeness of we shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection. Before salvation, we were identified with Adam. After salvation, we are identified with Christ. When he died, we died. When he resurrected, we resurrected also. To walk in newness of a new life, born again, saved by the grace of God. Because of this truth, we have a totally new relationship with sin. Because of this, what is that new relationship? We're dead to sin. Amen. We're dead to sin. I wish you could hear Brother Milton Taylor preach on this. We're dead to it. And whenever he said that, he'd say, praise God, hallelujah, thank you, Jesus. We're dead to sin. Think about this. Verse number 4, when Christ was buried, our sins was buried. The old man, the nature of the old man. I am not a reformed sinner, but a transformed sinner. I don't have a cleaned up version of the old me. I have a brand new me. <laughs> Amen. I'm not a made up son. No, I'm new in Christ. And so we are to walk in the newness of life. Look at verse number 6. Knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. For he that is dead, watch this, is freed from sin. Now, if we be dead with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with Him. In verse 6 through 8, we were there with Him in those hours on the cross. Our sins was laid upon Him, and we were in His heart. Galatians 2.20 says, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ that liveth in me. In the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave Himself for me. Amen. I was crucified with Him. What did He say in verse number 6? That the body of sin might be what? Destroyed. The body of sin might be destroyed. Think about this. It means rendered powerless. The old nature is still there, but its domination over you and reign over you has ended. It doesn't mean you, you won't sin. Just that you don't have to. Why? Because it don't have power over you no more. It's been destroyed. If sin has power over you, hear me and hear me well. If sin has power over you, it's because you allow it to. Amen. If you get a hold of what I'm teaching you tonight, if you get a hold of what I'm preaching to you, it'll change your life. I do not have to live a life of sin. I do, it, it's been destroyed. The power of sin has been destroyed. Think about this. The lost person has to sin. He has to sin. They are a slave to sin. A puppet on a string. They are still the old man. Your old man has been crucified with Christ and you have a power source to plug into now. So preacher, what are you saying? I'm simply saying this. I died with Christ. 
I was raised in the newness of life with Christ. So now when sin comes knocking at my door, that power of sin no longer has dominion over my life. I have dominion over it. Think about this. Imagine yourself a prisoner of war. Being marched through the jungle with a gun at your back. Your enemy trips and falls on his face. His gun slips out of his hand and lands at your feet. You pick it up and point it back at him. You know what? The tables have truly turned now. Now he is your prisoner instead of you being his prisoner. Amen? Now he is at your mercy instead of you being at his mercy. Would you not agree with me? That's elementary, Holmes. That's elementary. Would you not agree with me on that? If I've got a gun pointed at you and I fall and you pick the gun up and point it back at me, it's a different story. I'm probably not going to smack you around now. Why? Because I am now your prisoner instead of you being my prisoner. Hear me and hear me well. Before salvation, before salvation, we was the prisoner of sin. But now that we have... I'm about to run out that door. Now that we have been saved... We was crucified with Christ. We was raised in the newness of life. Sin is now my prisoner. I now hold it captive. It don't hold me captive. No. I'm, hallelujah. Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. If you'll get a hold of that, you say, preacher, I just can't get, I just can't get victory over this sin. It's because you're allowing sin to have dominion over you. Sin is dead in your life. You have dominion over it through the newness of Christ. Before you come to Christ, sin had the power over you. But now the table is turned and you have the power over it. Look at verse number 9. Knowing that Christ being raised from the dead dieth no more. Death hath no more dominion over him. For in that he died, he died unto sin once. But in that he liveth, he liveth unto God. Think about this in verse number 9 and 10. Sin has no dominion over Christ. We are in Christ and Christ is in us. So therefore, it has no dominion over us. The devil has some of you convinced that you'll never get victory over that sin that's in your life right now. Now, can I just say this? Can I just say this? I don't mean that that has to be some uh, what we consider great sin. I'm not talking about adultery and fornication and pornography and 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 and, and, and all of that. I'm simply saying this: anything whatsoever is not a face of sin, doubting God, sin, doubting our salvation, sin. It's sin, and the devil. You can holler amen on all that. The devil has some of you convinced that you can never hear me and hear me well. That sin does not have to have power over you. You have power over it. We're dead to it. We're dead to it. Think about this. Know that you're dead to sin. Know that you're dead to sin. 
Think about this. Anybody ever cut a chicken's head off? What's that chicken do? You take that chicken and lay him down on the chopping block and take an axe and cut his head off. What's he do? He takes off running, don't he? Blood squirting everywhere, flopping around. To anybody driving by, they would think that he's alive. But he's not. He's already dead. You say, preacher, what in the world does a chicken flopping around have to do with anything? Here's what I want you to understand. Sin's still flopping around in your life, but you're dead to it. And the day that you realize that its head's already been cut off, and you just go ahead and put it to rest, and have dominion over it instead of it having... It'll be a blessed day in your life when you get there. And all of that comes straight out of the Bible. I don't know about the chicken running around with his head cut off, but the rest of it did. We're dead to sin. Know this. There's something I must understand, and that is that I'm dead to sin. Think about the word reckon. Man, it's 757. We've got to move. Think about the word reckon. Look with me in verse number 12. Verse number 11. Likewise, reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Verse number 11. It simply means I really have been granted victory. Now that we see that we have and that we're dead to sin, and we say, and I just showed that to you. How can we now put that truth in shoe leather and start living in victory? Verse number 11 says that, Likewise reckon ye yourselves also, or ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin. Reckon means this, the biblical term, not the country boy term. Some of y'all has a country boy reckon, but the Bible term, okay, reckon right here. Y'all with me? Some of y'all been wrecking your vehicles, and I reckon I'll get over there after a while. Y'all, I'm not talking about all them reckons, okay? I'm talking about this reckon right here in Romans. Watch this. It means to impute. It means to put to one's account. It means to chalk it up. It is an accountant's term. Romans 4, 3. For what saith the Scriptures? Abraham believed God, and it was counted unto him for righteous. Counted is the same word as reckon. Abraham believed God, and Abraham believed, and God put righteousness into his account. To reckon is to take it to the bank. Deposit the truth in your account. It is not enough just to understand it. You must underscore it. Make it stand out. Write it on the bottom line in bold print. Move it from your head to in your heart. Reckon yourself dead to sin. It's that we reckon ourselves. To reckon is to bank on it. So knowing we can and should live the life of sin is not enough. Knowing we can and should lead the life of sin is not enough. It is when we reckon that we actually turn and walk away and take action. It's not based on how I feel. Faith, facts, and feelings. It's not based on how I feel. These days I don't feel saved. Everybody can holler amen right there. 
there's days I don't feel saved. But that does not change the fact that I'm saved. There's days that I mess up miserably. But that does not change the fact that I am dead to sin. Reckon. It's a fact. We are dead to sin. It has, our sin has been put on someone else's account. It's been imputed to someone else. Think about this. Think about this. So many people goes off their feelings, but think about this. You have an important morning meeting at work at 8 a.m. And your job depends on you being there. If you're not there, you lose your job. Your alarm goes off at 6.30 and you can't believe it is that time already. You feel like you just dozed off. It feels like 3 a.m. What do you do? Do you say, since it feels like 3, I'm going to roll over and go back to sleep? Or do you get up? I reckon you ought to get up regardless of how you feel. Because of what you know, listen to this, in both your head and in your heart, you know that the clock is right whether you feel like it or not. And you can take it to the bank that if you don't, you won't have anything at the end of the week to take to the bank. Can I illustrate it like this? Two or three weeks ago, Madeline goes to the hospital on Thursday mornings when they ain't 937,000 cases of flu at it. She goes to the hospital on Thursday mornings and, and volunteers from 7.30 to 11.30. She's real interested in nursing and Miss Tina's helped her out with that. And, and she goes to the hospital, to the surgical center, day surgery every Thursday now from 7.30 to 11.30. And on Wednesdays, I have to take Humera on Wednesday nights, every other Wednesday night. And I have an allergic reaction at the point of injection every time I take it, so I have to take Benadryl with it 30 minutes before I take it. Now stay with me. I can take one teaspoon of children's Benadryl. And farewell. I'll meet you in the morning. I'm gone, buddy. It knocks me out. Miss Leslie gets mad every other Wednesday night because I sit down on the couch after I take my shot and 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 numerous times... She tries to get me up to go to bed. And, and she swears up and down that I hit her every time, that I swing at her every time. I don't know what I do. I just know every other Wednesday night I get a good night's rest. The other night it was late when we, a matter of fact, whenever I got done preaching the other Wednesday night, I actually walked back in my office and took my Benadryl and then came back here and started talking to everybody. Went home and took my shot and man, I was just killed from the day anyway. I passed out. Son, I'm telling you, I went out. That morning, about 6.15, my alarm clock went off so I could get up, make sure she was up, and get her to the hospital. Even though she's volunteering, she's going to be there at 7.20 to 7.25 because there ain't no need in going in work late. Somebody holler amen right there. I'm teaching her already. Even if you're volunteering, you're going to be 10 to 15 minutes early. I can't stand... Tardiness. But anyway, that morning, that's at school, isn't it? Anyway, shut up, Scotty. I'm the one preaching. I'm sorry. I shouldn't have told you to shut up. But hush. That morning, 
The alarm clock went off at 6.15. Can I tell you what? It didn't feel like 6.15. It felt like about 2 o'clock in the morning because I was sleeping so good. I didn't feel like it was 6.15. But that clock said it was 6.15. My, my, my cell phone said it was 6.15. And Leslie said phone said it was 6.15. So you know what? Even though I didn't feel like it, it really was 6.15. Our feelings does not change the fact. And the fact is you're dead to sin. So what you need to do tonight is reckon yourself dead to sin. Now watch this. I'm done. I'm not, but I'm going to finish. No, reckoning the next word is yield. Look in verse number 13. Neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. Verse 19, I speak after the manner of men because of the infirmity of your flesh. For as ye have yielded your members' service to uncleanness and to iniquity unto, uh, unto iniquity, even so now, now because you're dead to sin, now because you have reckoned yourself dead to sin, yield your members as servants to righteousness unto holiness. There's your sanctification. There's your sanctification. Here it is. It's that you yield yourself to that. So that you yield yourself to that. You're already dead to sin. Hey look, if you're still sinning, it's because you want to. It's because you want to. It's because you want to. Because with every temptation, God makes a way of escape. You need to reckon yourself dead to that. Because you are. And then when you do that, You yield yourself, not to unrighteousness. You yield yourself to righteousness. You don't yield yourself to uncleanness. You yield yourself to cleanness. That's good preaching if I'm doing it. I'm just being honest with you. Come start playing something. Quit drawing pictures. I'm just picking. (laughs) She really wasn't. She was writing notes. She'll fuss at me when we get home tonight. Listen to this. It's all in what you're yielding yourself to. Here's the mindset. Now that I'm saved, I have all of these regulations that's been put in my life. I've got to do this. I've got to do this. I've got to do this. And I've got to be separated. And and we've got to be sanctified. And and, and I can't live like this. And I can't live like that. And, 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 And the devil has us so convinced that now that we're saved, we're in bondage. Hear me and hear me well. I've got the gun pointing it back at sin now. I'm not in bondage. I'm free, man. I'm free. I just had a carnal thought. That song, I'm free, free falling. But anyway, (laughs) I'm sorry. I told y'all, I yielded myself to unrighteousness instead of righteousness right then. I'm sorry. (laughs) But we've been set free from it. We've been set free... Let me read you something. 
They ain't going to go nowhere till we get back there. For that which I do, I allow not. This is chapter 7 of Romans. For what I would, that do I not. But what I hate, that do I. If then I do that, which I would not, I consent unto the law that is, that is, it is good. Now then it is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. You know what Paul just said in chapter 7? He said this, That which I'm supposed to do, I don't do. And that which I'm not supposed to do, I do. That's what he just said. You ever felt like that? You ever done something and went, You big dummy. Why? You ever messed up? You sinned? Let's just make it biblical term. You ever sinned? And after you sinned, you went, I didn't have to do that. Paul said this, Now then it is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. And you know what happened? Here's exactly what happened. You yielded your members to unrighteousness instead of righteousness. And the reason you yielded your members to unrighteousness instead of righteousness is because you didn't reckon yourself dead already to sin, even though you knew it because the Bible said. That's not a riddle. That's truth. That's the way it happens in our life. That's the way it happens in old John's life. I don't know about all y'all. I mean, it's this week. Just this week. I thought, you're an idiot. I seen a, a, a thing today somewhere, and here's what it said. It said, I'm self-employed. So if you see me talking to myself, we're having a business meeting. Leave us alone. <laughs> we file self-employed taxes. So if you see me talking to myself, leave me alone. I'm having a business meeting. And just this week, Brother Jim, I said to myself, you big idiot. What are you doing? What are you doing? I don't have to do that. I don't you say, preacher, I just can't get power over it. I, you can. It may mean cutting off some things, but you can. Yield yourself to righteousness. You don't have to sin. Sin because you want to. Sin because you choose to. You sin because you yield yourself to unrighteousness. Man, if you'll ever get a hold of Romans 6. Here's exactly what Brother Taylor said. He's had eight breakdowns now. He had one not long after our meeting here. Here's what he said. He said, when I got a hold of Romans chapter number 6, He said, I'm so excited, and I've been so excited since then, that I run so much trying to explain it to everybody else that I literally collapse. And that's what happens to him. That's what happens to him. I don't know if anybody else could tell it, but that night he preached faith, facts, and feelings. He was on fire, man. He was on fire. And it wasn't long after that, he collapsed. And here's what he said. He said, I've got so much joy. I've got so much freedom now. He said, I just can't handle myself. Whoa, praise God, thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. That's what he'd say. You're living in sin because you choose to. I'm just deciding by the help of God 
And I'm going to wake up every day and reckon myself dead to sin. And yield myself, Brother Jonathan, to righteousness instead of unrighteousness.